for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Before I start this morning, we've, uh, well, Andy and Ash and uh, Debbie have uh, helped me in, in doing some videos, and we've, we've had a few people from the church uh, just give us a quote on the video from different famous sort of sources that are going to hopefully fuel a little bit of a kind of starting point to each week on our new series, which is about the character of God. So before I start and say anything else, can we watch Tony, because he's amazing at this sort of thing, can we watch Tony do his uh, little quote? What are you then, my God? What but the Lord God? For who is Lord but the Lord? Or who is God, save our God? Most highest, most good, most potent, most omnipotent, most merciful, yet most just, most hidden, yet most present, most beautiful, yet most strong, stable, yet incomprehensible unchangeable, yet all-changing, never new, never old, all renewing and bringing age upon the proud, and they know it not, ever working, ever at rest, still gathering, yet nothing lacking, supporting, filling, and overspreading, creating, nourishing, and maturing. Seeking, yet having all things. Super, so that's a a famous, well, not necessarily famous, but that's a quote from Augustine uh, in his his book, Confessions of Augustine, and he is thinking about the character of God. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. We're going to be considering the character of the God we worship. Um, So we're going to be looking at a few different themes. We're going to be looking at his Trinitarian character, his sovereignty, his holiness and his justice, his love. And then towards Easter, we're going to be looking at his coming in the person of Christ. Um, So just before I get into my talk this morning, which is on, as we've already said, that he is incomprehensible yet knowable, um, I just have a a couple of resources that you might be interested in. Maybe you've got them at home already, um, or maybe you might want to get yourself one. So as we're kind of going through the series, maybe you want to be reading a book at the same time. So I've got three different options for you, potentially. So A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy, which is a, a Christian classic. You can actually get this free online. It's free. You just look it up on the internet. You can get it free. You can look it up on your, then your phone or your iPad. You can read it for free. This is an excellent book on the characteristics of God. It hasn't aged. It is still relevant and purposeful for you today. Um, and two more, which are a bit more modern. I'm going to throw that down there. Um, Andrew Wilson, who is a kind of a New Frontiers guy. He is at King's Church London. He's the teaching pastor there. And he's now internationally known as a a theologian. He's excellent. This book, Incomparable, is an excellent study on the characteristics of God. I just recommend that to you. Um, and finally, one that I found over the last week or so, and it's been brilliant, and I, I'm really enjoying it, is a book called No One Like Him, or sorry, None Like Him, by a lady called Jen Wilkin. This is directed at ladies, 
It's, about, it's, it's actually a kind of study for, for ladies in terms of uh, encouraging women in their faith. But I've, it's brilliant. Honestly, it's, I actually have enjoyed this book probably more than the other two. It's challenging. It's, I just encourage you, man or woman, maybe have a, have a look at this book. It's eight pounds on, on Amazon, and it's excellent. So Jen Wilkin, I'm going to quote from her in a bit as well. So there you go. Okay, so let's get going. So every week, I drive quite a, a long way to work and back. So I work up in Bromley, and I'm a teacher. And I have to say, driving on the M20 every day I've realised that there are a fair amount of idiots around. There are people who swerve in and out of traffic. They ignore that lanes have any sort of function, that they weren't designed for anything at all. People who drive, and then you've got the people who drive on the motorway like they're not on a motorway, and they drive like 30 miles an hour. I can imagine they're the kind of people that drive James Cole nuts. Um, There you are. And then there's my real bugbear, and this this is the one that I hate. People who tailgate. I cannot stand tailgaters. You're going about your business, you're overtaking a lorry that's overtaking another lorry, so obviously you're then in the outside lane, when for some of lack of a more inappropriate word that I would never say, let's say chump, Mr. Trump, he, he sounds like Mr. Trump, sorry, Mr. Chump, he drives up behind you, and it's not like you're going slow, you're doing like 75 miles an hour, maybe 80 if nobody's around, um, and so you're going quickly, but there's somebody behind you. And uh, Mr. Chump thinks that you're in his way. He thinks that you're in his way. So he starts flashing his lights at you, honking his horn. And to be honest with you, he starts getting on your nerves. Now, I feel that in those situations, and this happens at least once a week, that God's given me a spiritual gift. And my spiritual gift is to slow down in the fast lane. (laughs) Because I feel like God's given me the ability to teach people some patience. So... I hold off for as long as I can, and I'm watching them in the mirror get more and more frustrated with me. Um, Just be careful if that's you on the M20, by the way. (laughs) Then I pull back to the middle, and I smile and I wave at them, and I bless them in Jesus as they go by and give me some hand gesture that I won't do for you now. What annoys me most about those kinds of people is that they think that what they're doing, what they're involved with, is more important than everybody else. They think that, actually, where they're going and their jobs and their lives are more important than my life or your life. In essence, it's their self-centeredness. I just hate it. And then I realise, thinking about it, that I'm just the same. Often I I think that I'm at the centre of my own universe in some way, that what I'm doing or who I am or what I'm involved with is more important than others. It's it's a self-centeredness. And um, self-centeredness invades much of our culture, Our need for success, our family, our careers, our jobs, they all hinge on the idea that it's all about us as individuals. You know, you you watch the telly for half an hour, you'll find that actually culture pushes us to believe that it's about you as an individual and what you can get out of life. Culture encourages you to be self-centred. And that everything should revolve around you. And so we end up in our own lives getting caught to the point where we're hurtling down the M20, honking and fish shaking everyone out of our way because we're convinced that what we're doing is more important than what everybody else is doing. But the truth of the matter is, and the truth of all matter, is that it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about him. So uh, just, uh, I, I mean, so I said, I think Jen Wilkins brilliant. I stole this story from her, but it made me laugh so much that I'm going to tell it to you anyway, because it is so true of my my own life, that I don't know if you've ever left a job and thought to yourself, (laughs) give it till next week, 
and the place will be falling apart without me. And you leave, and you think, they are going to be absolutely doomed without me in the room. I've done that a couple of times. And then a few months later, you give somebody a call, and you're not really calling to see how they're doing. You're not really interested in that at all. You're phoning up to find out whether or not the place has, in fact, fallen apart the way that you hoped it has. And so you phone them up, and you say, oh, how's work going? And they say, it's great, actually. Yeah, it's really good. Your, your replacement, God, he's excellent. Really, really good guy. Everybody loves him. Man, we, we made cakes for him yesterday. He's just a good guy. Um, and apparently then the, the place is more successful than when you left it. Everybody's happier. Um, there's more productivity. Uh, I don't know whether that's been, you've been in that situation, but I, I heard that and it made me laugh because I know that I have been in that situation myself. And also, I thought about it, and I've actually known people to leave churches with that kind of attitude. They leave a church thinking that it's all about them, and so if they leave, the church will fall apart without them. And then they turn up a year later and they realise that the church is still going. And they go, well, how's that? And they, they don't realise, that you see, that it's not about them as individuals. They're not the glue holding it all together. You and I aren't the glue holding all of this thing together. God is. See, the harsh and honest truth is that if you drop down dead tomorrow, and I hope that doesn't happen, but if you drop down dead tomorrow, life would carry on without you. Because everything doesn't start and end with you. Everything starts and ends with him. Because he's the Alpha and Omega. Now, I've got some guilty pleasure worship songs. Um, I quite like some really old ones. We were coming back from Bromley yesterday because uh, we were at uh, Claire's sister's son's birthday and we were driving in the car to an old Stonely album. I kind of quite like the old Stonely classics. Um, but I quite like kids' songs as well, uh, believe it or not. I I'm, I'm don't really like dancing, but I quite like the kids' song. I, I quite like Our God is a Great Big God. I, I like the tune, I like the rhythm, and I do actually kind of quite secretly like the actions as well. Thanks. So the lyrics are, he's higher than a skyscraper and he's deeper than a submarine, something like that. He's wider than the universe and beyond my wildest dreams and he's known me and he's loved me. I'm going to go into the Macarena if I'm not careful. Uh, Since before the world began, how wonderful to be a part of God's amazing plan. Did I get that right? Yes, get in. Okay, so to kids, you can't get much bigger than a skyscraper, can you? It's quite a big thing. You know, if you've been to the Shard in London, you look up and you go, flipping it, that's massive. Or you can't get deeper than a submarine can go. You think about that as a child, you think, that's that's amazing. But I think in some ways these lyrics don't quite do God the justice that he deserves. God's a great big God. He's a great big God. And that's where we start our series on the character of God. That God is a great big God. I'd love today to be a day where you start to recapture a sense of awe and wonder at just how big our God is. And, And that as we do that, it reignites your faith for what God can do through you. So, just from that lyric in that song, and here's the hypothetical question, because I quite like hypothetical questions and then try and answer them. How wide is the universe? So how wide is the universe? Now, as I've said, I'm a teacher and I drive to and from uh, work every day. I do 500 miles a week. I've worked out that over the course of a year, so I, obviously, because I work really hard, I'm a teacher, so I only only actually work 39 weeks a year. I I don't get any holiday at all. Um, Sorry. Um, I drive 19,500 miles in a year, to and from work. That's just to and from work. And um, the circumference of the Earth is 24,000 miles. So in a calendar year, if I just did my journey normally every day, I could get to any point on the globe. Obviously, you can't drive over sea, but let's just pretend for a second. I could get any point on the globe just by driving in a year. So, as you do, I started to ponder, how long would it take me to get to the moon if I was driving 60 miles an hour in my car? And the answer is only six months. 
It's only six months for me to get to the moon. Uh, granted, you wouldn't be able to stop for a rest or a leg stretch, but it's only 238,000 miles away. Okay, and I say this in a second because you'll see that there's a, quite a big difference between what I say next. Because we talk about the moon and the sun, we talk about the moon only being 238,000 miles away. But driving at 60 miles an hour in a car that wouldn't stop, it wouldn't take you six months to reach the sun, it would take you 176 years to reach the sun. That's just how much further on it is from the moon. That's 93 million miles away. 93 million miles away. That's pretty far. Um, stuff like that makes me feel kind of small. So let's just extend the picture a little bit. And I think we're going to do that. We'll have to go to light speed, okay? Because we can only actually go any distance anywhere if we go at light speed. So the speed of light is 299,792,458 metres a second. So in some sort of way of being able to understand that, that's 671 million miles it travels in an hour. So in an hour, light travels 671 million miles. So in one year, in a calendar year, light travels around 6 trillion miles in a year. I mean, you can't get your head around that already, but let's just, um, let's go for, let's have a look at the moon then. So the moon in light speed is only 1.3 seconds away. It's a mere blink of an eye, isn't it? So the sun, again, it's really quick. It's only 8.3 seconds away. But if we wanted to go further, and we wanted to go maybe where no man has gone before, it's like that, um, it would take us 4.3 years to get to the next star, which is Alpha Centauri, travelling at the speed of light. So we've been to Alpha Centauri in our little journey, and we decide that we're going to move on, and we go, actually, do you know what? I'd really like to go to the centre of the Milky Way. Well, that would take you 38,000 years travelling at the speed of light. 38,000 years. Moving out of our galaxy and attempting maybe to go to another galaxy. So the nearest galaxy to us is uh, uh, one of our neighbours, and we'd get to the Andromeda galaxy, and that's only 2.5 million years away, travelling at the speed of light. 2.5 million years away. So we decide that we're bored in the Andromeda galaxy. We decide we're going to go even further than that. So we go to the next cluster of galaxies. It would take us 59 million years to get to the next cluster of galaxies away from us. And then here's the big one. Just how wide the universe is. It would take us 45 billion years travelling at the speed of light. 45 billion years travelling at the speed of light to get to the edge of the universe. If, if there is an edge to the universe, because nobody really knows for sure. And that number, that distance in miles is so preposterous, it's, it, honestly, it's ridiculous. So the number is 2.7 times 10 to the power of 23. So that, I think that can we, yeah, there you are. That's just insane. That's absolutely insane. And that's not even the width of the universe, that's half the width. That's from where we are to the edge. If you want to go across, it's 5.4 times 10 to the power of 23. It's massive. The universe is absolutely huge. And you are infinitesimally small. You are small. The Bible says this, for as, and God says this in the Bible, for as, high, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see, God's incomprehensible to you and I. These, the, the, the width of the universe, we can't even get our heads around that. You can't really get your head around how far the moon is away from us, let alone the edge of the universe. And God says for us, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Both David and Isaiah say that 
to God, the, the heavens, the universe is like a tent that God just throws out. Just throw it out. You know, have you ever, you've ever stretched a tent in your back garden once you've been camping? Just throw it out. It's sometimes a bit awkward, but you just get, get, get out. And you're in control of it. The Bible says that to God, the universe is just a tent that he throws out. The universe doesn't revolve around you. You're not the main character in the story. God is. In Genesis, we read that God spoke and creation happened. He didn't even lift a finger, he just spoke. Now, I'm an art teacher, so I, I understand a little bit about being creative. And I know to be creative, you have to have materials to do it. You have to have paintbrushes, paints, pens, pencils, paper. God doesn't need any of those things. God speaks and creation just happens. Our words are powerful. They can build up and destroy people. But we can't speak things into creation. It doesn't happen like that. You see, God is beyond any limit you or I could place on him. There's no one like him. There's none like him. If God had somebody like him, he wouldn't be known as the almighty one. He'd be known as a mighty one. He is the almighty one. Isaiah 40, um, God speaking through Isaiah says this, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. The breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. That's the breadth of my hand marking off nine inches or something like that. The breadth of his hand he marks off the heavens. Or with has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed in the the mountains on the scales and the hills in his balance. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Who did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. You see, God is totally other from us. He's totally different from us. Augustine said that everything known is within the limit of the knower's comprehension. That is, that, that is to say that God only allows you to know what he wants you to know. He only allows you to know what he's decided you can know. And he reveals himself to us in different ways. For example, in scripture we have God revealing himself to us in different names and we've had some of them this morning. We've got the Almighty One, the Ancient of Days, Father, Lord, King, Holy, High and Lofty One, Judge, Defender, Creator, Shepherd, Alpha and Omega. All of those names describe God, but they don't fully describe him to you. So when God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush, Moses says to God, because he's trying to get out of doing anything that God tells him to do. I mean, imagine that. You come face to face with God in a bush that looks like it's on fire, but it's not. And rather than just doing what it says, or what he says, you, you start arguing back. And God says, Moses, well, who, who's, who, who should I say sent me then? Who is it that I should say sent me? And God answers back, I am. I am sent you. You see, God takes that name in that instance to reveal something of himself to Moses. And it's a name that's precious to Jews. It's a name that's translated in your Bible as Lord. Wherever you see it capitalised, that's the word Yahweh. That means I am. See, God's not called Bill, Dave, or Ian, if you misread the text. Yeah? He's called I Am. He doesn't live in a house built by human hands. He needs nothing and he has everything. He exists without any outside support. He doesn't need oxygen, food, or water. 
He exists and has always existed. He doesn't make us or didn't make you to fulfill some missing need in himself. God didn't need you. And you need to understand that. I'm not being nasty. That's the truth of it. God doesn't need you. But God made you for his good pleasure. God made you because he wants to reflect some of his glory through you. God loves you. He doesn't need you, but he loves you. He is totally self-sufficient. He is the great I am. You see, I am isn't on the outside looking in. He's not a bit part player in my universe or your universe. He is at the very centre of the whole universe, in every corner of that whole universe, and outside the whole universe, holding it all together. When he speaks, stars are made. Words just ooze life out of them as he speaks them out of his mouth. He's the creator, he's in charge, he's all-sufficient, holding everything, yet needing absolutely nothing. And he's not some mystical force, like the force in Star Wars, but he's a very real, very present, all-sufficient, all-conquering king. Tozer says, only to an equal God could communicate the mystery of the Godhead. And to think of God as having an equal is to fall into an intellectual absurdity. Tozer's saying, look, The only way that you could actually really understand God is if you were like God. But to think of such thing existing is absolute nonsense. You can't ever get your head around him because there is no one like him. And whilst he is incomprehensible, that is, you'll never fully know him, that's what that means, you can know him in ever-increasing measure. You can know him in ever-increasing measure. So you don't just give up, oh, God's too big to know, what's the point? I'll give up. No, no, no. You can know God in ever-increasing measure. Jen Wilkins said, what we need is not an elevated sense of self, but rather an elevated sense of who it is we claim to worship. You see, what we need to stop doing is navel-gazing, effectively. We, we need to not think that we're central to all of life. What we need to do, again, is to look upwards, to look heavenwards, and to see the Almighty One. Because he chooses to reveal himself to you and I. He allows us to know him. He wants us to be part of his story. And God does that in four ways. He reveals himself through his creation. As I've just done this morning, I've shown you some of creation and how God has revealed himself to to us through it in that he's massive. He also does that through his word. He does it through his spirit. And supremely, our supreme revelation of who God is is through his son, Jesus. The author of time and space chose to become incarnate, to veil himself in flesh, that we might know him. Jesus is your supreme revelation of who God is. He is the living word. In the Bible, in the New Testament, in John, there's an exchange between Jesus and a group of Jews, and they are trying to find out who he is, and they're trying to trick him and catch him out. This is in John 8. And they question him, and they question him. The Jews say something along the lines of, look, we're the children of Abraham, but who are you? Who are you? We're the children of Abraham, but who are you, Jesus? And Jesus replies, Abraham was looking forward to me turning up, and he rejoiced when he saw it. They respond with, how can you, how can you know Abraham? You're not even 50, but yet you claim to know Abraham. I mean, this would really rile a Jewish person up, by the way. (laughs) And it does, because then they try and stone him. But he says, Jesus' response is, look, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is making the connection between himself and the God who turns up to Moses at the burning bush. Jesus is saying, look, folks, I am him. I am the same God. I am. I am the great I am. 
I mean, if you want to get in trouble with Jewish people, just say that you're God himself. Say that you're Yahweh. Because Jesus was, you see. And we need to understand that he is God. Paul says to the church in, in, in Colossae, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased, and this is the most important part, to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus is the fullness of God revealed to us in the flesh. Jesus is the fullness of God revealed to you in the flesh. We might not be able to comprehend the incomprehensible God, but the fullness of him who is incomprehensible has been revealed to us in the person of Christ. You can know God because you can know Jesus. In Ephesians, Paul says that Jesus is our access to the Father by the Holy Spirit. And that verse doesn't just highlight the Trinity to you, it also highlights something about what Jesus does in your life. You see, it's only because of Jesus that you can know God. It's only because of Jesus that you have access to the Father. This morning, you can know God more because you can have access to the Father through the work of the Son for you. And God isn't like a person that when you get to know them, you don't like them as much as when you first knew them. Have you ever met anybody like that? You think they're great at first. Maybe you think about it like about me, I hope. Um, you think they're great at first, you want to spend all your time with them, and then after a little while they start to really grate on you, they wind you up, you don't really want to see them anymore, so you stop missing their calls, not answering their texts, because they, they grate on you a little bit. You see, God's not like that. He's not like that. The more you get to know God the more you will love him. Because everything about him is perfect. Getting to know God will fuel your passion to get to know him more. You see, the God of the heavens came down. He was made incarnate. He had flesh and bones that could be touched and felt. He lived, he breathed, he ate, he drank, he knew hunger, he knew pain, he knew thirst, he knew tiredness. He knew sorrow and anguish. He knew temptation, but he never sinned. And he knew death, that you and I might live. See, that's our king this morning. That's who we worship. That's who we lift up in praise and adoration when we sing songs. It's Jesus. See, he's now alive and reigning at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And all authority, the Bible says, has been given unto him. He is now exalted over all the earth. And you can know him, you can love him, and you can follow after him. So what should your response be to all of this this morning? Well, I think there's two things um, that we should respond to with this. First of all, our response will be something like Paul's response in Romans. So in Romans, Paul gets into some pretty heavy teaching. If you read Romans all the way through, it's a bit confusing. And you have to take time to read it and really understand what Paul's getting at. But in Romans 11, Paul talks about Jewish people becoming, coming to faith. And at the end of it, it's like he's taught this teaching that's so confusing and incomprehensible in itself that he just goes, he just bursts into this doxology, this 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 sort of section of worship. And he says this, Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who's known the mind of the Lord or has been his counsellor? Who's given to God that God should repay them? For through him... 
Um, sorry, for, for from him and through him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. And Paul's response there to his own teaching is worship. And so when we don't understand God, our response should be the same. We should be drawn back to worship. You see, wonder and awe in creation, wonder and awe in who God is, should lead us to worship him. It should lead us to say, God, I don't understand, but I worship you, I love you, I adore you. Thank you for being a God that I don't understand. Because if you're a God I understood, then what would be the point in worshipping you? So first and foremost, the teaching on God's incomprehensible nature should lead you to worship. And secondly, I think this teaching should enlarge and increase your faith. If you could really grasp how, how big and how wide and how high God is, who he is, if you could start to grasp that just in a small way, knowing that actually you could get caught up in his plan rather than your own plans, I think things would take a radical turn in Ashford. One of my favourite quotes on prayer is by Andrew Murray. And Andrew Murray said this, the power of prayer depends almost entirely upon our comprehension of who it is with whom we speak. The power of prayer depends almost entirely upon our comprehension of who it is with whom we speak. When you pray, when you speak to God, if you think God's a small God who's not going to answer your prayers, then the power of your prayers, because actually you need to know God, you need to trust that God is the big God that you worship on a Sunday and you're praying during the week. Have faith to know that God is that big God in your life, that he's the God of the universe. If the God of the universe is in your situation, that should change how you pray and your faith in prayer. It should also change all of your faith in general. Now, I've been here a year. Claire and I have been here a year. We've lived in Ashford for six months. We've been coming here uh, for over a year. But we've been on the sidelines a a lot longer. We've been cheering on from the crowd. Um, I watched as mum and dad, Richard and Sarah, Paul and Barbara, James and Becca and others, exhibited a risk-taking faith when they planted this church back in 2002. Because they believed, you see, that God is greater and bigger than any other. They believe that God is who he says he is. So if they step out in faith, God will be with them on the journey. And I've seen the church grow. We used to come here once, twice a year. We used to see things growing. We'd see it growing. We'd see it growing. I remember being in the, is it the river room, the rainbow room, the river room? The river room at at the Stir Centre. See, step by step, stage by stage, sometimes with setbacks. Sometimes with hold-ups, sometimes with heartbreaks, this church has moved forward because God's about a great work in us. And there have been big expansions along the way as those of you from ACC joined with Gateway. We are on the cusp of a new season together as a church. We're on the cusp of a new season. We've had it this morning before I spoke. It was funny how some of the prophetic words coming through about a new season. You need to understand that we are on the cusp of a new season as a church. It's like we're on the top of a mountain and we're looking ahead to a valley beyond us. There are new giants to fell. There are new rivers to cross. There are new mountains to climb as a people on our journey together. There are greater journeys of faith ahead for us as a people together. You see, we stepped out in faith, didn't we? To buy the old wyvern. And many of you have worked tirelessly. You're down there Saturdays, You're down there during the week helping to transform it into the riverside because you believe that the promises of God that have been spoken over us 
as a church are being fulfilled through that ministry, through that building. And we've given sacrificially in faith that God is greater, in faith that he's bigger than us. But it's not the end. My encouragement to you that it's not the end. You see, the, the Riverside Centre is going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. And God is going to bring people into his kingdom through it. But I tell you what, it's a jumping off point to a bigger and, and greater journey ahead for us together in faith. You see, the more faith we exhibit, the more God will continue to push us to have even more faith. You look at how Jesus spoke to the disciples in the New Testament, always challenging them, always pushing them, always saying, go on, you do it, you do it. Go out and, go out and heal people. Go out and, and uh, uh, set people free from the demonic. Go out and, and actually preach to people. He gave them that push, and God is giving us that push the same. You see, our story is wrapped up in his story because it's all about him. You see, we believe that the God we serve, the king we adore, the king who is both higher than a skyscraper and deeper than a submarine has more for both of us as individuals and Ashford in general. And our new vision statement just exemplifies that. So our new vision statement is to grow as a family of believers who are passionate about loving God and his presence, that are secure in their identity as his sons and daughters. You can't be secure in your identity as a son or daughter of God unless you know the father that you worship and are filled with his Holy Spirit, each one partnering with him, partnering with Jesus, sorry, daily in extending his kingdom. You see, we believe that God's kingdom is being extended and coming through us as we live out our daily lives here. That's what we believe as a church. We believe that that's actually what Jesus wants us to do. If you're not a Christian here this morning, we believe that we are called to be Christians who extend the kingdom of God into the surrounding uh, people around us. And we need to have faith as to know what that means. You see, it's not just any kingdom. It's the God of all creation's kingdom. It's the God whose, whose hand spans the universe. It's his kingdom that we are extending. It's his kingdom coming through us. It's his kingdom invading families, homes, workplaces, as you step out in faith and say, I want to pray for you. As you step out in faith and say, hey, I just want to talk to you about Jesus. As you step out in faith and just be that listening ear for somebody who's in trouble, that's God's kingdom it being extended through you. It's his kingdom alive and active through us as we take steps of faith to be the people that God's called us to be. Louis Giglio said, bottom line, God plus anyone else is an overwhelmingly powerful team. If you've got God on your side, and if you're in Christ, you've got God on your side this morning, you are part of an overwhelmingly powerful team. So my encouragement to you is to throw off doubt, insecurity, and take on faith, because God is with you, and he is the king of all the universe. Let's just, we're going to pray now. I want to pray for you. Um, as we do that, can I invite the band back? We're going to sing a song together in a second. But can I, can I ask you to stand? Is that okay? God, I, I thank you that you're not like us. God, I, I thank you that you don't depend on us. You're not in need of us. But yet, Lord Jesus, we are entirely, unequivocally in need of you. We need you, Jesus. God, I thank you that we will never fully grasp just how big you are. And that is a comfort to us that we will never grasp how big you are. But God, I also thank you that we can know you more. Lord, I thank you that we can know you more and more. 
We can know you in our lives, working through us. We can know you speaking love over us. We can know you more. God, I thank you that you call us to be part of your story, to be bringers of your kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, the kingdom that spans all of the universe. I thank you that you call us to do that here in Ashford. And God, I pray, just fill us with faith today. Fill us with faith, God, faith to believe, faith to know that, God, you are greater. Faith for our church, God, that, Lord, you have a great future for us. Faith, Lord God, for us as a people, Lord God, that you have a great future ahead for us. Faith for our town, God, that you want to change it by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray, give us faith today. And God, I just pray, Lord, also right now, there are situations in this room this morning that need the hand of the sovereign God. You've come to church this morning and you need to know his touch. You need to know the touch of the King of all heaven today. Lord, I pray for those folk here this morning. God, maybe their relationship with their husband or wife, partner is in tatters. Maybe, Lord God, their relationship with their children is ruined. Maybe their relationship with somebody else in this room is not what it should be. God, maybe for them it's not that. Maybe, Lord God, it's a sickness or illness this morning, God. Or maybe it's that they need to be broken free from a habit or sin that they're addicted to. God, I pray right now, come impart life. Come impart healing. Come restore what's broken. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Father, I thank you that you are the God of all the universe, that you are greater and stronger and more powerful than any other name. And Lord, I pray right now, God, come in this room right now. Lord God, I pray, come and break chains over people's lives right now. If that's you, can I just encourage you to just hold out your hands to him? Hold out your hands to him and say, Jesus, would you come and break the chains in my life this morning? Jesus, I need you. If you need a healing from God this morning because there's something in your body that's not right, just encourage you right now to say, Jesus, come and heal me. Have faith. He's the God of the universe. He can heal you. Have faith this morning that he's the God of the universe. He can restore those relationships that are broken in your life. Have faith this morning. He is with you. He is with you right now. Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come right now. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. If you, if you feel like um, God has touched you this morning, or if you feel like you want prayer, can I just encourage you, after we've sung this song and we've closed the meeting at the end, if you want to come and pray with me, or with James, or with uh, Dad, or Richard, or another leader here, we'd love to pray with you. We believe that God is about a great work in us as a people. We believe that God is about a great work in us.